The reading this evening is taken from 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, starting at verse 12, and going through to chapter 3, verse 6. It can be found on page 1,159 of the Church Bibles. Two Corinthians chapter two, verse twelve. Ministers of the New Covenant. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. Before we start, I'll lead us in prayer. Psalm 119 says this, Give me understanding, and I will keep your law, and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Father, that prayer is our prayer this evening, that you would give us understanding so that we would keep your law, that you would direct us in uh, your word so that we would delight in it. Please change us, Father in our hearts, cause us to see Jesus Christ for who he is, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Do you ever find yourself wondering and wishing whether Christianity could look more impressive? Do you ever think to yourself, I wish it looked more intellectually credible, or it looked more attractive? Do you ever find yourself wishing that sort of thing? Uh, I remember when I used to be back um, in a proper job um, back in the city, I, um, I had a colleague um, who was a couple of desks up from me. He was quite a bit older than me. He was a lawyer by background. He was ruthless uh, with companies. He could argue his way out of anything. And um, he was a very sort of confident guy. And I was a young Christian at that time. I kind of was trying to share the news about Jesus with my colleagues. And I remember thinking about him and thinking... I'm not sure I could really explain this message to him. Someone who looked that confident, that self-assured, that intelligent, well, next to him, this kind of message seemed very weak. And to my shame, I didn't 
uh, ever really engage with him properly. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe um, you're at college or you're in the workplace, and you, you know your friends around you need to hear the message of Jesus. You know that. But actually, it doesn't feel very convincing. It feels very weak. It doesn't look very attractive. It doesn't feel very powerful when you think of your friends and all their confidence they have. Perhaps um, you're someone who's pretty cool. It's not a problem for me, so um, I'm speaking to the cool people here. Um, if you think you're cool, you're probably not. So um, listen, don't worry about this bit. But if you're pretty cool, um, I guess you'll hang around with cool people. People will look up to you. And it can be tempting if you're that sort of person to think that Christianity doesn't look very cool. It doesn't often. Christians don't look cool. It doesn't look that attractive. And, and so often you can be tempted to hold off speaking this message to your friends and colleagues. Do you, ever wish your, do you ever wish that Christianity looked more impressive? See, I was thinking about this this week, and I thought to myself, there are two kind of consequences that, that follow from that, if we don't have confidence in this message. Um, the first consequence is, I think, that we will begin to change the message. We will strip out bits that don't look uh, very impressive to people around us, and we will make it more impressive. Or we, um, the second consequence is, um, more my case, that we'd be ashamed of the message and that we just hold off telling people. Now, I think um, you guys know that uh, you don't need me to tell you this evening that those two responses are not the right responses. We shouldn't tinker with the gospel. Uh, it's sufficient, it's done, and it's glorious as it is. We shouldn't add to it, we shouldn't take away with it, but you know that. And you also know, I guess, that you shouldn't be ashamed of it, that you should want to share it with your friends and neighbors. But yet, so often, in my heart, I feel very different. And so I asked myself the question this week with this passage, what is the solution to that? And, and I found in this passage that Paul gives us the solution. He gives us the solution by showing us why, the, um, why this message looks inherently weak. And why that the fact that it looks weak and unattractive is not something to be ashamed of, but it's the glory of this message. I want us to see two things this evening. I want us to see, they're both on this um, handout. Um, first of all, I want us to see that authentic ministry looks like defeat. And secondly, authentic ministry is about inward transformation and not outward show. But first of all, a word about this passage and its context. We're um, in the book of 2 Corinthians. We've been here for the last couple of weeks. And um, Paul is uh, writing to a church in Corinth. And uh, this church has had some visitors. Uh, it's had some visitors, and they've been calling themselves apostles. Uh, it might be they're from the church in Jerusalem, and they're saying that they're the leaders of the church. And um, they've been bringing into question Paul's leadership and his apostleship. And I just, um, we'll see this as we go through, but just have a uh, glimpse at it with me. Go to chapter 10, uh, verse 10. It's on page 1164. Here's one of the things these um, apostles say about Paul, who's writing the letter. They say, uh, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Um, that's a bit of a diss. 
Um, so Paul, uh, they're basically saying his bark is worse than his bite. Yeah, Paul sounds good in, on paper. His letters are, are weighty and forceful, but when he turns up, he looks weak and worthless. He doesn't look like us. And Paul responds to, to those visitors by writing this letter. And Paul wants to defend his apostleship. He wants to defend the way he is led. But as Steve said last week, and I'm quite thankful that he did, it's not a kind of personality battle. It's not that Paul's better than these other apostles um, because he uh, thinks he's uh, bigger and better than them. But he sees a, a deeper issue at heart. See, the fact that these Corinthians are being taken in by these visitors uh, shows that they've not understood the gospel in its entirety. And so Paul defends his ministry in this letter, not just so we look at him, but that so we understand what the authentic gospel looks like. Um, so, as I say, we're going to look at authentic ministry, and we're going to think about authentic ministry looking like defeat. So these visitors, um, you'll see in the rest of the letter as we go through, that they were saying that Paul doesn't look very impressive. Uh, later on, Paul tells us he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, uh, his message was often rejected, he caused riots wherever he went, uh, he received the lash, um, uh, lashes several times, and he just looked a bit of a mess. Um, often in um, sort of pictures of Paul, he looks like this kind of wise old figure, he's Face is nice and clean. He's got a nice long beard, uh, well kept. He's got some glasses on, looking at some scrolls. But as I read uh, this letter, I thought to myself, Paul wouldn't have looked like that. He probably would have been a mess. He would have had scars on his face. He certainly had scars on his back. And the visitors um, to this church were saying, this guy doesn't look very successful. See, successful people, they're received with open arms, aren't they? Their message is um, accepted they're praised by lots of people, but Paul wasn't like that. Wherever he went, he was re um, received in a mixed way. Some people believed, but many people rejected him. And Paul's response to those visitors is very, very intriguing. Have a look at chapter 2, um, back in our passage, chapter 2, um, verse 14. Paul says this about his ministry. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. See, Paul says that his ministry is one of a triumphal procession. Now, what does he mean by that? I think it requires a bit of unpacking. Now, the triumphal procession, procession um, was just an incredible sight in the ancient world. You probably know this, but when a general would have some sort of victory over a town or a city or a country, they would come back into Rome or they'd come back into their hometown and there would be this big procession. Everyone would turn out for it, um, coins would be made, even arches would be fashioned to celebrate the procession. And you can just imagine it must have been quite a sight. Uh, it began with the magistrates walking along, and then behind them were huge trumpets and trumpet players. And behind them would be all the, the spoils of war, all the things they've captived, uh, cap, um, caught uh, in their uh, conquest. And behind them would be the flute players. And behind them would be the oxen, the white oxen to be sacrificed to the gods. And then behind them would be the captives 
from that nation, town or city. Uh, they'd be led along in chains, uh, ready to be executed. And behind them, in a chariot, would be the conqueror. Uh, a slave would hold the crown just above the conqueror's head. They would have a scepter in one hand. And as they went along, people would shout, Hail, triumphant one! And Paul says that is what his ministry really is. He may look weak, but actually is in a triumphal procession. Actually, he, he kind of presses that image a bit further. It's, um, it's a fantastic image. Um, he talks about the aroma of Christ. And um, the triumphal procession would have smelt pretty nice. So um, uh, there, would all, there would have been incense burnt uh, as people processed. There would have been all sorts of spices from uh, the places they've been. And then people would be at the back kind of distributing flowers and throwing petals. The, the whole thing would have smelt uh, amazing. And he says that that is happening with the gospel, that as he spreads, uh, as he goes about his ministry, he is spreading the news of Jesus Christ like an aroma. But the thing about aromas and the thing about smells is that they divide people. Uh, I was chatting to someone yesterday who was telling me that they love the smell of petrol. I thought he was weird. I thought he probably had a problem. But he told me he loved the smell of petrol. I love the smell of new cars. I know for other people it makes them feel a bit sick. And um, I wasn't sure where I was going to say this one, but my wife's not here. But um, me and my wife have different opinions about manure. Um, when, <laughs> stay with me on this one. So when uh, manure's uh, spread on the fields, my wife loves it. She, um, it reminds her of the countryside, everything that's great about the countryside. For me, it smells like manure. <laughs> and Paul says that when it comes to the gospel, uh, that is happening, but in a spiritual sense. Verse 16, to the one we are the smell of death, to the other, the fragrance of life. See, Paul, as he does his ministry, he is showing and revealing people's eternal destinies, some to death and some to life. See, rather than a failure, Paul is in this triumphal procession. But here's the thing I want us to see. Paul doesn't look like he's in a triumphal procession. Now, we, there's a bit of work to be done on the kind of translation here. Normally, um, our English Bibles are pretty good, and um, we don't have, there aren't much, um, we can trust them in lots of ways. But I think in this, in this sense, um, in this verse, uh, we need to do a little bit of work. So, um, in verse 14, the, the, the f- sorry, I'll start again. In verse 14, um, the f- it doesn't tell us where Paul is in the triumphal procession. And in fact, the new NIV brings it out. But actually, Paul in verse 14, uh, the way the original works, Paul is actually the captive in this triumphal procession. I think when I first read it, I kind of imagined him in the chariot. But no, he's one of the captives in the procession. See, the thing is, Paul looks defeated. He looks like he's in chains. He looks like his ministry is unimpressive. And just imagine you went to one of these triumphal processions. Perhaps you got there a bit late. The crowd were kind of, it was difficult to get through the crowd. And you got to the point in which the captives were being led past in chains. If that is all you saw, it would look like a sorry scene. It would look miserable. But then imagine you saw the the conqueror come behind the captives. Well, then you would realize that what looked like a sorry scene was a huge triumph. 
And Paul says that that is true for his ministry. He looks like a sorry scene. He looks weak. He looks unattractive. He looks unimpressive. But it's part of this triumph of Jesus Christ. In his death and resurrection, he is lead in a triumphal procession through the world. And he is the conqueror in the chariot. Paul is uh, the weak, unimpressive captive. See, the thing is, authentic ministry looks like defeat. It doesn't look like triumph. I think the thing is, we're always going to be tempted to kind of look for the more impressive version of Christianity, the more cool version, the more intellectually credible version of Christianity, if we don't get this point. The fact of the matter is, God uses us in our weakness, in our unattractiveness. See, we're not the one uh, in the chariot. There's only one person in a chariot, and that is Jesus Christ. It's not you. Uh, You and me, we're the captives spreading that message with Jesus behind us. Authentic ministry, it looks like defeat. Let's press on. Um, Authentic ministry, uh, point two, is about inward transformation and not outward show. See, these visitors to the church, they had been um, calling into question Paul's um, success, but they were also uh, questioning Paul's credentials. Um, You see that in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Uh, The letters of recommendation he's talking about there was um, a kind of thing they did in the ancient world, much like we do today. Um, We send letters of recommendation when we're applying for things. So a lot of you guys would have filled in UCAS forms. Um, I'm guessing you still do that uh, for university. And as part of that, you will have a reference from your tutor or teacher to say that this person is credible. And uh, if we're in the world of work, if we're applying for jobs, we will go with references. And when we leave jobs, we're asked for references for our new place. And that was happening in the church. Uh, People turned up to the church in Corinth, and they said, we've got letters proving our credentials. And then they were saying, well, where's Paul's? See, Paul, he's this kind of maverick kind of preacher. He's going around um, the, the, the Mediterranean. He's not in Jerusalem. Who is he? Who is he anyway? He hasn't got any credentials. He hasn't got any letters. And Paul says this in verse 2, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What's Paul getting at there? It's um, a bit confusing when you first read it. What's, what's he saying? Well, Paul says that the fact that the Corinthian church exists is his letter of recommendation. See, the fact that this community, a community that has come out of a city where people um, are known for all sorts of, of sin, like sexual immorality and prostitution and and greed and um, um, uh, uh, all sorts of um, things uh, we read about in 1 Corinthians. The fact that that church has come out of that society and had that change, well, that is Paul's letter uh, of credential. See, there's only one explanation for that sort of change, and that explanation is the Holy Spirit's work. 
See, the Holy Spirit has used Paul's ministry and brought this change in these people. See, the thing is, when I was looking at this, I was asking myself the question, what leads me to kind of more impressive versions of Christianity? And I think my answer is that the world doesn't value things as God does. See, the, value, the world doesn't really value the Spirit's work. See, the world understands kind of outward credentials. It understands letters of recommendation. It understands impressive people. But it doesn't really understand things like the Spirit's work in people. I, I wouldn't expect it to. Um, for me, in this job, I um, get lots of chances to kind of um, speak about what I do. People ask me, and they find it quite interesting. I kind of tell them I'm a kind of trainee vicar, and they ask me a bit about that. And when they ask me, I try and um, uh, they ask me kind of how I got into being a vicar, and I, I tell them uh, I, I started with becoming a Christian, and I like to talk about how I become a Christian. But when I do, I know they just look at me a bit blank. They don't really understand. And nine times out of ten, the conversation goes on to kind of career progression. Uh, I kid you not, um, many, many people have asked me how I get to Archbishop, uh, when can I get the next title, and that sort of thing. And that's the kind of value system of our world, isn't it? That's what their world understands. It doesn't understand the Spirit's work. And I think that is the reason I get ashamed of this message. That is the reason I don't pray as I should. That is the reason I don't trust the sufficiency of the Word. It's because it's not valued in the world around me. But the thing is, God subverts our value systems See, God doesn't work according to our world's values. See, he works through seemingly unimpressive means. He's not about outward show, but inward transformation. Now, one of the questions I've got for this book is kind of, why does God work this way? And it might be a question you're asking as we're hearing this. Why does God kind of work in a way that makes us look defeated? Why does God work not in a kind of outward showy way, but in the inward transformation of the Spirit? Why does God do it that way? Is it kind of just a, a clever trick? Is it kind of God being difficult? Well, I think the answer comes in verse 5. Have a look at it with me. Paul says this, Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. See, Paul realizes something very important. His competence isn't from himself. It is from God. See, God works in a way that brings... He works in this way so that he brings glory to himself and not to us. See, God doesn't share his glory with anyone else. It might be you hear that and you think to yourself, that seems a bit perhaps egocentric. Why doesn't God want to share the glory? But I just want you to imagine if the system was different. If God worked through kind of impressive means in the kind of value system of our world, just imagine he worked that way. Well, people wouldn't become Christians because they love Jesus. See, they would become Christians because they love things that are valued already. And I imagine Christianity would look very, very elitist. It would be for the rich, the successful, the kind of intelligent. It wouldn't be for those who look unattractive and weak. And the thing is, this isn't just a kind of 
clever way of working. It's the way God has worked in his son, and it's the way he has worked ever since. See, Jesus Christ didn't look attractive. He had no credentials. He had no letters of recommendation. See, Jesus Christ had nothing that we would esteem him, and we considered him stricken. And Jesus Christ wasn't just like a captive in that triumphant march. He was captive. He went to his death. He was rejected. See, Jesus Christ looked weak, but we know that that is actually the moment of God's power. See, the moment that God seemed defeated, the moment that Jesus died, was the moment of the most wonderful power the world has ever seen. The moment that God reconciled his people to himself. See, that is the pattern that God works in. He works through the weak and worthless, seemingly weak and worthless things, to show his power. And that is the pattern he worked in his son, and it is the pattern that is worked in us as we follow in his footsteps. See, if you're a Christian, sometimes uh, we do feel very strong, we feel very confident, but I know more often than not, we feel very weak. We do feel very worthless. We feel like this message isn't very powerful. Uh, We think to ourselves, what can I do with my limited gifts and my limited abilities? But the thing is, God works this way. He works through the seemingly weak. He works through the seemingly unimpressive. That's how he's worked in Jesus. It's how he's worked in Paul. And it's how he works in you and me. So be encouraged. Be encouraged as you go about your ministry that God works this way. If you're not a Christian or you're not quite sure if you're a Christian or you're kind of looking into things, don't make the mistake of judging the Christian message by the value systems you already know. See, the whole Christian message subverts our value systems. It is power through weakness, strength through defeat. Don't judge Christianity according to the values you already hold. And finally, if you're a young Christian or a new Christian, there will be many, many temptations along the road to trust in more impressive versions of Christianity, to perhaps change its message, or to be ashamed of it. But you need to remember this, that actually that message that saved you, that message that brought you life was seemingly weak and seemingly worthless, but it was uh, very, very powerful. Do you ever wish Christianity looked more impressive? Well, lots of people in Corinth did. But it was this message that had brought them life. And it's this message that they were to hold on to. And it's this message that we are to hold on to and to proclaim. Let's pray. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful image of Jesus Christ riding triumphant, of us as his captives spreading the message of him everywhere. Father, we want to confess that so often we feel shame at the weakness of this message and how it seems uh, so unattractive to our world. And so often, Father, we're tempted to hold off telling others about it. 
Father, we pray that um, through this passage you would change us, that, Father, we would see that this is authentic ministry, and that, Father, we would not be ashamed of it. We would want to share it with others. Father, help us not to trust in the value systems of this world, but trust in the message as it is. Father, please, we ask for your help in that. In Jesus' name, amen.